0: Invite you to turn in your Bible this evening to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. While you're doing that, just want to give a, a special uh, welcome to Mark and Ruthie Scaturo as uh, they're back from the first year at Westminster Seminary, and Mark's going to be doing an internship this summer with here at Harvest and also at Grace Fellowship. So it's great to uh, have you folks uh, back with us. Uh, Psalm 51. Of course, David's great saw a prayer of confession, you could say the whole of the Christian life is contained in Psalm 51, uh, sin, uh, repentance, faith. Uh, worship, witness, it's all here. Uh, we're not going to be able to cover the entire psalm tonight. We'll be uh, reading the first 12 verses and focusing our attention on on that. Psalm 51, you, many of you know it well, some maybe by heart. Uh, maybe for some of you, you don't know it well at all. There's great gospel news here for you in um, this prayer of David. Let's give our attention to God's Word. The, 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 the title matters to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's ask the Lord bless his word. God, we thank you that your word is your voice, and I pray that tonight as we open it and hear you speak to us, that you would, Lord, um, waken us to the wonder, the truth again of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is a great Savior for great sinners. And that the gospel is full and sufficient for all of our sin and all of our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of a message tonight is The Path from Transgression uh, to Joy. The Path from Transgression to Joy. Uh, Psalm 51 is an amazing uh, uh, psalm about the incredible grace of God in the context of egregious sin. Uh, This is this is a uh, a psalm that uh, i think every christian is familiar with that every christian has probably prayed Uh, it is um, it is so vulnerable and honest about the reality of sin and yet so incredibly bold and confident in the presence of the grace of god Uh, the, the the psalm continually convicts me for how meager Uh, my my uh, repentance is or how meager my confessions are more specifically how how small my faith is Uh, david has a, a a great confidence that god is willing to hear him and that he can expect and ask for great things even in the midst of this incredible sin uh, this psalm is a, is a wonderful display of what happens to sinners when they recognize and realize the true nature of grace and the disposition of the heart of God towards sinners who confess their sin and ask for His mercy. Uh, w- one of the things I, I love about Psalm 51 and just about the, the uh, gospel message in general is how simple it is. Uh, the, the church is not about uh, Many, many different things. Uh, really, the the, the the church is we gather around this central idea that um, that we are sinners, and Jesus is the Savior of sinners, the mediator between God and men, who has uh, atoned for our sin, reconciled us with God, and now calls us to live in the confident expectation of um, of the gospel that we are loved, that we are forgiven, we are clean. That's the basic core of the church's message uh, to the world. And um, one of the the blessings of a psalm like 51, it just reminds us then that, uh, yes, we face many different problems in life, health problems, work problems, relationship problems, um, all real, all um, in their own way, a burden, and yet the single greatest problem we face is sin, Nothing brings you, as a Christian, more grief in your life than sin. Nothing um, nothing messes up your life more than sin. Your sin, your unbelief, uh, your uh, idols, your besetting sins, um, the sins that you commit willingly and knowingly against God, the sins that you commit without any idea that you're even sinning. The sins of um, failure to do things, right? Sins of omission as well as commission. And yet these are the things that actually burden us down. And we don't all deal with sin in the same way. Uh, Robert Freeman in his book Hide or Seek uh, writes that when people sit in our pews, they're dealing with sin in a variety of ways. Some people are denying they have a problem. I think they're basically good people, they're doing the best they can, and God uh, is, is surely pleased with that. The fact that they're here tonight, right? And maybe you're thinking that yourself. Um, it's a Sunday night, you could be doing other things, maybe you comfort yourself, uh, that God is pleased with that act of religion. Uh, others know that they are sinning against God's law, and, um, and yet they are just in secret rebellion. We know we're in sin, but, but we live a life of hypocrisy and, and deception. Others are dealing honestly with their sin and just, and feeling often like failures. Uh, you've been a Christian for how many years now? And I would, uh, I would bet that if I would sit down and talk to you and, and say, wouldn't you, uh, if I would have talked to you 10 years ago, wouldn't you have uh, hoped you were farther along in sanctification than you are today? Hey, is there anyone here tonight who says, actually, I think I'm, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm um, really knocking this thing out of the park. I'm, I'm really surprised. Um. Perfection is just around the bend. Uh, if that's you tonight, I would love to talk with you after the service. <laughs> we're at different places, and, we, and we have, we're at different places, different times in our life. But few are consistently enjoying the full abounding peace and joy available in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Psalm 51 calls this to that joy. Church historian Richard Lovelace writes that uh, many Christians below the surface live below the surface of their lives are guilt-ridden and insecure and draw the assurance of their acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance. Or the relative infrequency of conscious, willful disobedience. And, and, and people will draw assurance from that. The problem is, that even if all those things are true, none of them are Jesus. And none of them have saving power. And none of them produce joy. The best they can do is produce Pride. None of them produces the joy that God intends for us in the gospel. And So Psalm 51 is just a wonderful invitation for you and me again tonight to experience deep comfort and abounding joy in the context of the reality of our sin. Let's just look together first at an egregious sin. The title of the psalm is meant to remind us and instruct us of of the great, violent, wicked act of David. You, many of you uh, know the story, you can read all about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David is on the roof of his palace and he looks and and, and there he sees a woman who's bathing and she's beautiful and he desires her and so he takes her, he's the king, Uh, he's allowed to do things like that or at least he thinks he is and he sleeps with her, she becomes pregnant David tries to cover his sin he um, he has her husband come home from the battlefield in order that her husband can go in and be with her and, and uh, it'll be their child but he is a man of honor refuses to go in and take comfort with his wife when his men are out on the battlefield, he's, he's a man of integrity and honor, David then being completely the opposite has Uriah put on the front lines where he is killed, David then marries Bathsheba and in uh, David David's mind, it's done. He's the king, the people that know what's happened, what are they going to do, what are they going to say? In David's mind, the matter has been uh, taken care of. And David goes on for a year, approximately a year, in this unrepentant um, blindness to the reality of his sin. And if God had left him there, and God could have justly left him there, God does not owe any of us repentance. If God had left David there, David would have went to hell. Because you cannot die, in un- right? you cannot live unrepentantly and be a child of God. If God had left him there, it would have been evidence that David was not actually a child of God. But God, because he's a faithful God, will not leave us there. Praise God. God will pursue us, and God pursues David by sending his prophet Nathan. Nathan tells this amazing story about a man who, who, uh, just a poor man, had this one little lamb and uh, and, and a neighbor who was very wealthy, had many, many sheep, thousands, and and this neighbor uh, had a guest come, but but instead of taking from all the sheep that he had, this neighbor went and took the one lamb that belonged to this man and his children. It was like family to them, And and, and that neighbor took that one lamb, that one precious lamb and took it and sacrificed, killed it for his own feast. And David was outraged. The, the incredible um, audacity of, the, of that wealthy man. And David pronounces judgment as kings have the right to do. The man deserves to die. He shall surely die. And Nathan puts his finger in his chest and said, David, you're the man. And David has just pronounced judgment on himself. And God, through the word of Nathan, finally breaks through the spiritual blindness and breaks through that rebellious, unrepentant heart. And and David, with horror, now finally realizes what he's done. And he experiences the displeasure of his heavenly father. He experiences the anger of a holy God against his sin. What do you do when you commit an egregious, awful sin? And you can't undo it. You can't make it right. Most of us, right, human nature is to try to hide. Uh, Maybe we'll try to justify it. Um, Or we'll try to make it better somehow. But you see, what what, what Psalm 51 calls us to do is confess it, acknowledge it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're caught in a pattern of sin and you don't know how uh, to break out and you're guilt-ridden and insecure, and, and Psalm 51 is here to tell you there's a way out, and the way is confess the sin and flee to God, flee to Christ for mercy and grace and cleansing. That's the, that's the message of the gospel. If we have nothing else to say, right? that is the, the, the gospel that God has given to us, that there is a way for sinners to be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Christ. I remember when I was a young man, uh, just graduated from college, I was um, kind of wrestling with faith. I w- went and visited a church, a First Assembly of God, as many of you know, back then Wayne Benson was the pastor there. And uh, at the end of the service, he, um, some people came forward for prayer. He, invited, he had invited them to do that. And I saw people on the stage weeping and and confessing their sin. Um, that struck me deeply. Uh, th- that 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 the gospel isn't just about acknowledging in generic ways when we get together on Sundays that yes, we're sinful and all our righteousness is filthy rags. The gospel is actually much more than that. It's about acknowledging the truth of of my sin, my pride, my lust, my greed, my coveting, my my idolatry, all of that, that. And that I confess that specifically to God and I then flee to Christ to receive what he has for me. David, in his egregious sin, makes, uh, runs to the cross, runs to uh, Christ, even though it, it, David knows Christ in shadow form. He runs to what he knows to be true of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That movement from conviction to confession to to plead, uh, pleading for grace and mercy from God. That, that movement is the path from transgression to joy. Uh, God has just condemned David as the man, the wicked man, the, the lying man, the stealing thief, the adulterer, the man who deserves to die. God has just exposed David as that man. And and David turns to that very God who's just exposed him and David runs to him believing that he's full of grace, that he's full of steadfast love and abundant mercy. Jack Miller in his book, uh, Repentance, points out that many professing Christians stop at conviction. Uh, And that conviction becomes... Um, we, we deal with it as though it were repentance and faith. That if we really feel bad about our sins, that must be a good thing. And in some way that it's even a sufficient thing. But it is neither repentance nor faith. Right? Conviction is just conviction. It has no saving power. No one will be justified by conviction. Miller says, Conviction by itself is not repentance. Conviction of sin apart from turning to Christ has no value whatsoever. It's necessary, right? We need to experience that work of the Holy Spirit where he, where he shows us the truth about our need. If we never see the truth of, of what we are before God, we're never going to need Jesus. We're never going to experience Jesus as a need. So conviction is necessary, but, but it's just the first step. Where you go from there is everything. And David, out of that conviction, runs to God. And he makes bold requests. Have mercy, compassion, blot out my transgressions. Uh, David uh, uses the word uh, transgression. It means um, a, a sin that's a, it's willful, knowing, disregard of God's clear command. God said, don't do it, um, and David did it. He knew exactly what he was doing. This was a high-handed sin in that sense. But David is asking God now to blot it out. He does the same thing in verse 9. Blot out all my iniquities. He realizes that his sin has, has incurred actual real guilt under the law of God. He deserves to be condemned. And David goes to the judge and says, uh, just blot it, blot it out. It, it's, a, it's a bold request. Uh, God, I want you to, to take the reality of that sin and, and remove it. Take away the guilt, the real debt that I owe before the law. Take that away. And and remove the moral stain. Wash away, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Make me ceremonially clean. Give me the ability again to to come into your presence as a righteous and innocent man. That's, That's what he's asking. We're not asking for little things when we ask God to forgive us and to cleanse us. Now, on what basis can David ask these things? Instinct again is to is to ask for God's favor on the basis of some, um, well, qualification. That that it wasn't we it was a it was a bad day. It was a bad moment. We were we weren't in our right mind. Didn't know what I was doing. It was a weak moment. We've been under a lot of stress. Um, that is that is not the path to joy. That is a dead end to despair. David does not do any of that. He he acknowledges, I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. It's sin of the worst sort. It's an abominable transgression of God's law, an utter violation of everything that he knew to be true about God. Everything that he believed and in and, 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 and contrary to all the promises and all the goodness. I mean, there was not a man on earth who was more blessed spiritually and materially than David was blessed. And yet David sinned against that God, and he, and he acknowledges that it was against that God. Uh, we, we often uh, maybe confess our sin as though God were a bystander, that God, the God were, was a witness. God, you know that—I mean, you see everything, and you saw that today— I did this, I lost my temper, today I, <clears throat> I lusted, and today I, I uh, whatever it might be, right? That God saw. God is not just a witness to your sin. God is the direct object of your sin, right? He's the recipient of the action. So, so when you lost your temper, you were denying the right of God to order your life. And when you lusted, you denied right, the, the will of God who claims your body. And whatever your sin might be, it was against God. And, 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 it, was, it, it, and it was knowingly against God. We, we, don't, we don't lie or lust or cheat or steal or covet or whatever it might be. We don't do it on accident. We know it's wrong. <laughs> and yet we plow ahead. And, and, and it's against God. God. It, it's, it, I, I tell people you know, it, that uh, our sins are so often, they're just a, it's just um, flagrant, violent, God, get out of my face. I want to do what I want to do. Now, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, we do it because there's something wrong with us. It's not a bad day. It, 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 there's something wrong. David says, I, I, I recognize that I, I was born in sin. There's, there's a bent in me. I'm not, I'm not right. Paul says in Romans 7:18, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. You know, when, when people say, Yeah, I know that was wrong, but God knows, God knows my heart. It's like, yeah, that's exactly the problem. He he knows your heart, and your heart is exactly why you did what you did. The heart is why I do what I do. And so David, you see, doesn't go any of these evasions. He, he he doesn't try to lessen what he's done in any way. He doesn't hide the truth. He acknowledges it. It's, it, was, it was wicked. It was against you. And there's no excuse for it. And it's not just that I did a certain thing. It's I am a certain person. That's, that's what true confession looks like. It acknowledges the truth. And, and God loves true confession. There's a great text in, in um, Jeremiah chapter 3, 12 and 13 where, where God says, return, faithless Israel. I will not look on you in anger for I am merciful. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Just acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God. You scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and you've not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Just, just tell the truth. The brutal, honest, awful truth. If we're a church where you get the sense that what we're actually trying to do is, is massage the truth, then we've got it completely wrong. And, and, and what we're hoping is that, is, that, is that people learn how to live barely, you know, basically good lives and, and, and not mess up too often. That, that, that is such a violation of the gospel. Because the gospel calls us to tell the truth. And the truth is, we're not, we're not all basically decent people. Left to ourselves, there's no good thing. And, and, that's not, and we're not saying that to make us feel bad. Conviction isn't the gospel. The, the, the message of the gospel is, yes, um, the truth is what the truth is, and God invites us to tell it. Because you see, there is such a thing as steadfast love and mercy. It is a reality rooted in the character of God. These are not ideas and words when David appeals to the steadfast love and mercy of God. If there is a God, friends, then he is this God. And if, if, if this God exists, then there is steadfast love. There is abundant mercy for sinners. We simply need to run to it, and that's what David does. And he runs with great expectation. Look at verse seven. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. There's there's such an expectancy here. David says, "God, if if you will do this, it will be resolved." Purge me with hyssop. What does that mean? Well, hyssop, as maybe you know, is a, is a, a branch that is, um, would be used. It has many fine little branches, and you would dip it in the bowl of blood for the sacrifice. After the animal's been sacrificed, some of the, bowl, the blood has been gathered, the priest would dip the hyssop into that bowl of blood, and then he'd sprinkle it all around the altar. And he would sprinkle it on the people as they confessed their sin acknowledging that it is only atoning sacrificial blood that is able to wash away sin and david says god do that to me i am the sinner i am the man in need take that sacrificial blood the blood that you promised was sufficient to wash away guilt and cover me With that, sprinkle that blood on me, because if you purge me with hyssop, then I shall be clean. If you wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. There is a wonderful confidence that David has, because he he just believes what God has promised. David believes that the sacrifice is sufficient. David believes that a sinner cleansed by the power of God is a sinner that is fully restored to God. There's nothing remaining between him and God, and that's where the joy comes from. I think one of the things that I've wrestled with in my own life, and maybe you have too, is is stopping short of this. Uh, Clearly committing sin and confessing sin and believing that God forgives sin but stopping short of running into the loving embrace of God who forgives him. Sensing that I'm yet unworthy to be there. That I couldn't really expect God to be pleased with me. I couldn't, I couldn't expect full restoration and reconciliation. I couldn't, I couldn't expect joy. David expects joy. David asks for joy. He, in a sense, demands, demands joy. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of my salvation. Jack Miller wrote his book on repentance in part. He, Jack Miller was an OPC pastor. He wrote his, his book in part because he saw in the churches that he visited and preached in that people lacked joy. They believed the gospel. Just, there, was a, there was an evident lack of joy, like Paul asking the Galatians, what happened to your joy? And Miller suggested that the, the, what's happened is that we've settled for less than what God has invited us to experience in Christ— We've settled for conviction. We've settled for maybe a a sense of forgiveness, but we've stopped short of asking for the joy, expecting to experience joy. We've stopped short of what God promises us, what God has purchased for us in the gospel, actual, true joy. Now, where would that joy come from? That joy would come from actually believing truly believing that the the steadfast love and the abundant mercy of God in Jesus Christ has completely washed away your sin as you confess it. Miller writes, we do not need to live with a festering conscience. You don't need to live with this nagging sense of failure, this nagging sense of fear before God. Don't need to live like that. There is a mediator appointed of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your sins to God through Jesus. Don't take them to a priest. Don't take them to a friend. Take your sins to God through Jesus Christ and believe what he's promised. Faith, you see, friends, is the path from transgression to joy. It doesn't take faith to admit that you've sinned. It doesn't take faith to feel conviction. Unbelievers can do those things. But, but faith, you see, Christian faith, biblical faith, just lays hold of what God has promised in the sacrifice and it lays hold of it with all of its life, with all of its desire. This is what we want. We want to be restored to to relationship with God. We want to be washed clean so that we can be once again in the presence of God. And and Psalm 51 will go on, and David will talk about the sacrifices that he will offer as as God has been so gracious to him. It does not take great faith. It just takes simple, sincere, true faith. as, As you take the reality of God as he is, full of compassion, steadfast love, a God who gave his son for this purpose. Jesus didn't come for other reasons. Everything is in, in the cross is, to, rec- is, to, is to, uh, to, to atone for your guilt so you can be reconciled to God and that Jesus then builds a kingdom from sinners who've been ransomed by grace. And so, and so Psalm 51's plea is so simple. Have you, do you trust that God, if you, if you run to that God with your sin, and if you, have you asked for then not just forgiveness, but have you confessed with confidence, God, if you, if you give me Jesus, I will be clean. And if you give me Jesus and you give me the cleansing that, that, that happens through his blood, then, Lord, give me the joy of my salvation. The joy of knowing it's gone, it's all gone, it's forever gone. Robert Freeman in his book again says, what enables us to boldly and radically be honest about the state of our hearts comes from knowing that you've nothing to lose but everything to gain by trusting it all to Christ. Trusting your hardened heart, your confused heart, your corrupt desires, and your love for your sin. Trust it to Him. It requires trusting in the finished work of Christ for the past, present, and future. It means trusting His record Instead of yours. It means realizing that we all at any given moment are in desperate need of the grace that is found in Jesus. It's a grace that isn't manufactured or self-produced. It comes from above as a gift from God. Friends, tonight God knows you. He knows that you were born in iniquity. Um, He knows the truth about your life, the truth about your sin. God wants you to know that in Jesus Christ you can be fully forever Forgiven. He wants you to experience the joy of the gospel, the joy of his salvation. And he wants that, friends. Uh, Jesus wants that for us, doesn't he? And, and Jesus wants it for us so much that he gave us a sacrament tonight to convince us just of this thing. Can you imagine that, that, that Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm going I'm to give you a sacrament, a visible sign of the gospel so that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that your sin is forgiven as you confess it as you as you um, give it to the Lord as you as you run from conviction to Christ Jesus wants you to experience the joy of salvation let's pray to him. God in heaven tonight we're gathered as people from different backgrounds and different experiences but Lord all alike we've sinned against you and uh, We thank you, God, that you give us a psalm like 51, David's prayer for mercy, so that, Lord, we can find the way to joy and pardon through confessing our sin and and resting and believing in the steadfast love and mercy of God in Christ. Father, um, you know the lies we tell ourselves. You know the places we hide. I pray, Lord, that tonight we would throw all that aside and we would come together to know this grace, to taste this goodness, to experience the wonderful blessing of full pardon. That there's no more shame, no matter what the past. There's no more guilt. There's no more condemnation. There's full and free forgiveness in Jesus Christ, full restoration as children of God. And there's full joy and peace for sinners in believing. Meet us now, Lord Jesus, at your table as you minister your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.